Rangers coming to hit. It's a two on two, feet to the middle, score! Hino coming back. It's a 3-1 Rangers lead. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Three o'clock hour, Silver 7's. Let's get out to L.A. Raiders taking on the Rams. Six and a half point favorites on the road. We'll examine whether it's really a road spot. They got to travel, uh, but it's going to feel and sound like a home game. Adam Hill is in L.A. Did Adam make the mistake of leaving for a football game, a 5 o'clock kickoff, later than, like, noon with L.A. traffic? Adam, where are you? Uh, sitting in traffic. So, of course, that's what you do in L.A. You are a buffoon. Why'd you do that? Uh, why not? The beach is better than SoFi Stadium, I think, even though I love SoFi. Did you actually go to the beach? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I look, I, uh, I went and reenacted uh, the, the scene from... Uh, the Venice Beach Courts and White Men Can't Jump. I posted a photo. It's up on Twitter. It's nice. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah. I'm sure we're going to get to the game. I'm sure you've uh, seen the investigation, the congressional uh, release of the info with the Snyder dog, Dan Snyder. And for Vegas, it's really interesting because the release says it, it was the commanders who put out the emails from John Gruden. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll leave it to lawyers who are much smarter than I am, but I think uh, this was not stunning. And, and there was, you know, the the thought maybe that the NFL directly did it, that Roger Goodell directly did it because of what was said about him in there. Um, I, I always thought that was a chance, but somewhat dubious. But uh, the commanders, I think, were always the lead suspect. They were trying to throw people off the scent of what they were doing. And they were like, hey, look over here. Look what these guys did. And it uh, makes a lot of sense, but it's also uh, going to be a real problem in the courtroom. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, I, I wonder how much Gruden can tack on to this whole thing, um, and if this also is this a way to pave the way back into the NFL as a coach? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's also like it, the whole thing's weird. I don't think you would drop the NFL off the suit because I think you have to include them and keep them there. So there's always going to be that entanglement as long as they're part of it. Uh, but the focus obviously now will be on the Commanders and their role and how much. You know, like uh, like I said, I, I don't know the, the details on this, but if, if it's the commanders directly and the NFL had no involvement or no knowledge, does that get them off the hook? I don't necessarily think so because the commanders are part of the league. Um, there's a lot to unpack that I think is uh, going to be up to a lot smarter people than I, but to have the smoking gun, so to speak, uh, for Gruden is going to be big for him. So it turned out that uh, Bruce Allen, when he did go in, the former exec with the Raiders and with the commanders, really did give a lot of information, and I think we all expected him to uh, spill the beans. You just didn't know how much, uh, how vicious it was going to turn out. So he's a snitch. Speaking of snitches, I, and I'm not calling the person who asked the question a snitch, but uh, sometimes I'll call uh, some inside dope a snitch. What exactly was going on last week with the Raiders? I saw Vinny ask about it with the kickoffs. I don't know. It's a, it's a big mystery, Steve. Uh, they're using a holder, and I expect them to do it again. Uh, they believe that there is a modification to the rule that used to explicitly ban you from using a holder. Uh, they think there's a clarification of the rule that was made that allows this to happen. Uh, I haven't seen anybody else necessarily use it. So they seem to be alone on this, but it worked for the Raiders very well last week. They were able to pop up kickoffs very, very high and pin, pin teams deep, uh, you know, pin them deep back within the three-yard line 
with coverage all over them already because of how high the kicks were going. So it's working for them. I expect them to do it again. I can't get any clarification from the league on exactly what rule was modified a week or two ago that allows this to happen. Uh, but I think the Raiders are loving that it's allowed, and they're going to keep doing it. And you, you should further explain. I mean, we do see times where there is a holder for a kickoff, but I guess it's almost like a special waiver on the field from the officials if it's super windy. Yeah, it's bad weather. And usually I believe the rule is that it has to blow off the tee twice uh, for, for you to then use a holder. But now there's been a clarification of that rule, and uh, they're allowed to do it now. And the Raiders are able to get a really good angle, the one that they really want on the ball. And Carlson has it down pat to, to where he can pop it up in the air and put it exactly where he wants it inside the three-yard line. And uh, the average starting field position of the Chargers last week was greatly affected by that. Adam Hill is covering the uh, Raiders and the Rams at SoFi. So uh, generally, before kickoff, uh, you know, 3 o'clock for a five fifteen kickoff, I mean, he'd be there, be all set up, making the rounds. He's in traffic in L.A. Hmm. Go figure, right? Uh, early in the week, we talked about Baker Mayfield landing with the Rams and – this show's thought was, all right, he's probably not going to play uh, anytime soon. You, you take a chance on the guy. Hey, maybe Stafford's hurt seriously. Maybe you can use your, uh, you know, your guru thoughts on offense to fix Baker Mayfield. And then we're seeing today and yesterday, wait, he might play? This can't be possible. He, he might Tonight? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it sounds like he'll be active, but I don't, I'd be stunned if he's starting. Um, if, if there's ineffective quarterback play, do they go to him? I don't know. Um, I, I think it's, it's a real challenge to try to obviously get up-to-date on a playbook. I don't think he's going to get fully up-to-date. I think they probably have a package of plays in from a very limited amount, and then it'd be almost uh, you know, schoolyard football of like drawing up plays and going out there and playing. And uh, as, as chaotic as that sounds and as silly as it sounds, it might actually work for them on a limited basis at least just because like, they don't have anything anyway. All their, all their talented players are out. They're all hurt. Nobody's out there. Uh, it's not working what they're doing. They can't block anybody. So why not just kind of get creative and do something that nobody's prepared for? And, you know, the Raiders are going to have a tough time kind of knowing what Baker Mayfield's comfortable doing with this team because they haven't seen it. Um, maybe that works. I mean, something has to work for the Rams. They're terrible. Do we know what the latest update is on one of the other quarterbacks, the, uh, the Wolfman, Wolford? I think he's going to give it a go out there and uh, see if he can throw, and we'll find out. I think. I, I mean, look, I think they're being very quiet about this on purpose. <laughs> okay, so then, how, you know, how how does Graham and the how do you prep for this? You're like, we don't we don't know who the quarterback is, and this is a game time decision. Yeah, it was asked all week. I mean, that's what we asked. You know, not only coaches but also uh, a bunch of players in the locker room. Just what do you do? How do you prepare? Like, do you watch tape on Baker Mayfield? Do you see what he does well? Do you watch tape on? other guys and, you know, and see, you know, how the previous players have played in that offense. Do you just prepare for individual skill position players? What do you do? How do you go through this? And the general answer seemed to just be, you don't. I mean, you don't. First of all, it's a short week anyway, so there's not a whole lot of prep you can do specific for an opponent. Uh, but the other part of that is, look, in a, in a situation like this, uh, just double down on what you do, focus on what you do, run your plays, run your base, and just go out there and play defense instead of, uh, over-preparing for three different players uh, when none of them have been particularly effective anyway. Uh, just do what you do. And and I think that's the plan for the Raiders tonight, especially on a short week. You like to find the story that no one else is working on, uh, hence the uh, the kickoff uh, hold, you know, on the uh, – this the whole the whole deal with the Raiders and, and holding on the kickoff. Um, I don't know even if you ever got to that because it sort of came out. But I know you're doing research on it. You love to research stuff like this. So, sure. are the Rams the worst defending Super Bowl champ ever? 
I mean, I believe so. And I, I don't even know if that's uh, where they're going to finish record-wise in terms of that, but I think just uh, is there one that you can remember in recent memory? No. Is there one even growing up? I, I don't remember anything. I mean, you might – you know, you have vast more experience watching football than I do, Steve. Obviously, okay. as an older gentleman, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember a team anywhere close to falling off. It's usually the losing team in the Super Bowl that falls off this way. Now, I will also point out, like this is not, this is not completely unexpected. I think we all expected them to be a, com- a contender, but like the whole plan of the Rams was to go all in. That was the entire strategy. They're all in for one championship, and they got it. And you know, I think that there's probably some people reconsidering. It sounded like last year, at the end of the year, there was a possibility that Stafford, Donald, and McVay were all going to walk away together. And they're probably thinking now they should have. Uh, that might have been the right move. But, you know, this was a team that went completely all in for one title. They got it. And uh, they're now kind of paying the consequences because they don't really even have picks coming up to try to get better again. Yeah, looking at uh, one list of uh, worst Super Bowl, or defending Super Bowl champions ever, it actually includes the Raiders. Back in 1981, uh, working out the DVOA, I guess uh, whatever minus 15.6% is, that says they're the worst. Um, and then the next year, the the Niners in 82 were a total disaster. But, uh, I mean, I get the whole point with the Rams. They, they went for broke. It's a new era. You know, they always say F them picks, and they keep trading away first-round picks. And then because they layer their team with so many high-dollar guys, they really they have no backups. But I, I think it's interesting looking at the future – does this mean they come out of this hole anytime soon? And if they're not, we talked about this last year with McVay's opportunities. Would McVay just say, you know what, Les, talking to the GM, let's both get the hell out of here. Let's stand Cronky deal with this, and let's go do a Sean Payton and work on TV for a little bit. And we'll come back in a couple of years. I'd be more surprised if McVay is back than if he leaves. Really? Yeah. I mean, look, it sounded like his whole his whole plan, it sounded like he was kind of tied to Aaron Donald anyway, right? I mean, that's what it seemed like. And if Donald would have walked away, McVay may have walked away. He kind of talked him into coming back and Stafford into coming back. And I can't imagine Stafford comes back, and I would kind of be surprised if Aaron Donald's back, at least for the Rams. So I, I'd be kind of – I'd actually be kind of shocked if Sean McVay comes back. Adam Hill on the road getting ready for the Raiders and the Rams. Last thing on the Rams side, and then we'll get to some deep dive stuff on the Raiders, who are six-and-a-half-point favorites in this one in a uh, 5-15, 5-20 kickoff. It'll be over on Raider Nation Radio 920 and also on Comp 92.3. I know you're quick to jump to the logic of, hey, you know, you start a Baker Mayfield or, you know, you make a questionable uh, personnel move because, well, you're tanking. You know, you hire Jeff Saturday because you've given up on the season if you're Ursay. But in this case, when they could play any quarterback in the world, any sort of tank the rest of the way, doesn't help them. Do not forget, again, that in the trade to get Stafford, they gave away a lot of first-round picks. They're not – I mean, the Lions would love to – you know what, play Baker Mayfield all you want, and I – you know, as an organization, if I'm the Lions, like, I hope he stinks. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll go real technical on you and say, hey, you're tanking for your third-round pick. <laughs> like, you, you, I mean, you want a better, better third-round pick uh, if you lose the game. Hardcore. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're right. That, that, that's not an option for this team. It's actually, I mean, it's one of the reasons I do think Mayfield might be more of a long-term play. Like, not that they, they're committed to him long-term or anything like that, but it's, hey, does he have anything? Is this, can we possibly, we can make work 
and you know because we're not going to be able to do so in the draft. I mean, that is a possibility of why they made this move, uh, much more so than for the next couple of weeks. So I think that's something to watch. Like, can they turn him into anything? Do they believe in his talent enough to be able to fix him? Adam Hill, part of the company, also a Las Vegas Review Journal. What's the uh, plan for the coverage? How many people you got down there? What can people look for? Uh, five people and uh, tight deadlines tonight, but we'll we'll turn out the content, uh, takeaways from what happens right after the game, and uh, columns from uh, Sam Gordon and uh, Vinny Bonsignor down here, videos from Heidi Fang all over the field, and uh, check it out, Review Journal. Who's been tabbed with the Jerry Tillery feature? The Jerry Tillery feature, over from the Chargers, very familiar with that stadium. They had just had enough of him, and so far for the Raiders, he's been pretty solid. He's been really good. I think he's he's really bolstered the front. He's he's. I mean, look what he did to open up things for Chandler Jones last week. I think that was a lot of Jerry Tillery, and, and Max Crosby kind of said as much. He said a lot of what we've been doing recently is Jerry Tillery opening things up. He's he's definitely a force in the middle of the field. Now, who's tasked with doing the feature? Uh, whoever can get him to talk one time. Uh, I think that's the uh, that's the key. So. He's not a big fan of the media, not a big fan of talking. Uh, any feature you see about him, I think, will be other people talking about him. Injuries on defense, though. So, no. no. Sorry, sorry, real quick, I, was, I forgot to also go in. Matt yep. Crosby said it really well the other day. He said, he's a different kind of cat, but he's a dog. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So that's what it was a reference to? He's just really quiet or just kind of is – is it quiet or mean? This, this word has some connotation to it. He's weird, man. He's a weird dude. He's different. He's just—he's very scholarly. He's very you know well-read, but oh, okay. you know when he talks to you, he's all—he like speaks kind of in vagaries of you know trying to make you figure it out what he's trying to talk about. It's—he's uh, a different fellow. Okay, um, I'm waiting for confirmation from one of our salespeople on uh, a similar personality, Nick Diaz. Uh, <laughs> Nick is going to be hosting the uh, USC viewing party over at Crazy Horse Three. Like he's, he's come not on, right. He's uh, at any minute. We're getting confirmation. Um, oh, good. He's not like he's not like Nick Diaz. He's not like a Diaz brother. I mean, I, I, can, see some, I can see some similarities. Ooh, really? Yeah. Yep. And uh, Nick Diaz is one of the most fascinating people, maybe the the most that I've ever sat in front of for a press conference. You don't know what the hell is going on. You don't <laughs> know what he's going to say when he does say something. You're like, what did he just say? I don't understand that. I like this angle. I like Jerry Tillery. I'm a fan. Sure. Uh, yeah, you should get him on. Uh, <laughs> same chance as uh, Nick Diaz, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Injuries tonight. Jayon Brown, uh, Rocky Sin. So who goes in those spots? Yeah, I mean, you'll see. I, we've, we've been seeing the youth movement in the uh, in the secondary anyway uh, with a lot of those guys. And the linebacker, you know, Luke Masterson got a lot of run uh, last week. You expect that again as well. Um, in the secondary, you know, lots more. Sam Webb. Uh, Isaiah Polamao, which we've seen quite a bit of uh, recently, and, and they've been playing a lot of you know three safety looks at times. So um, they they have a lot of different guys that can work in, uh, whether it be corners and safeties, not necessarily interchangeable, but a lot of different formations where they use uh, you know a lot of different bodies at different spots. So uh, you know I think a lot of a lot of those guys, a lot of the younger players, and of course Nate Hobbs coming back last week really helped everybody kind of settle into their roles a little bit better because he can do so much on one side of the field. Could this be the craziest Raiders road crowd we've ever seen in terms of the numbers, or is it going to be 50-50 with Rams fans? I mean, the Rams are not good. I think there's a little bit of passion for NFL football in L.A., but we know the Raiders fan base is still alive and well in Los Angeles from their, uh, what, 13, 14 years there. So what are you hearing about the crowd tonight filled with Raiders fans? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, like, 
usually it's the Chargers uh, games that the Raiders fans are able to take over. Uh, Rams fans turn out a little bit better, but the way the Rams are playing uh, on a Thursday night, uh, 5 o'clock, uh, might be pretty difficult uh, to convince a lot of fans to come out. So I, I would expect a lot of Raiders fans are expect to be very loud. You know, it was interesting uh, talking to uh, Amik Robertson the other day. He said, you know, our fans go everywhere. He said, even, you know, we, we thought when we were taking the field in Seattle, like, oh, there's not going to be Raiders fans here. And we walk out of the field, and they're all over the place. So uh, they travel, and they live in L.A. They don't have to travel anywhere. So uh, I expect a very, very strong Raiders fans contingent today and uh, something they were counting on. They said, you know, usually road games like this, they'd have to work on a lot of silent counts and stuff like that, and then they have it in their bag, but they don't think they're going to have to use it. So uh, I think they're even planning to not really have a very strong uh, road crowd in their face today. Raiders, Rams, Adam Hill, part of the company, on the road, literally on the road in L.A. Uh, yeah. Before you start getting up to uh, high speeds, uh, I don't know, 23, 25 miles an hour, we'll close on this. Our buddy Vic Tafer said it's a gimme game tonight for the 5-7 and seven Raiders. Too strong? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be too strong, I'm saying. Uh, I actually did a, a fantasy spot earlier today where I was like, this could be the kind of game where you could get you know, as a mere white in the game late because it could be ugly. Uh, I don't think you count on that as a fantasy player, that you'd like stick a guy like that in, but um, this is a game they should handle their business very, very, very well. Uh, it shouldn't be close at the end. They shouldn't come down to the left possession, but it is the Raiders. You know, last one before I let you run. Uh, you had teased getting a chance to talk to an NFL star, former NFL star who was in Vegas. It turned out you were trying to get a hold of Andrew Luck. He didn't speak to anyone that morning at a press conference. I went to the National Football Foundation event later that night. He spoke because he repped all the College Football Hall of Famers. And, man, he's a quirky guy. He really is. He's a unique guy. And then as it turns out, oh, he spoke. He spoke to Seth Wickersham. And a big story came out on Andrew Luck. Are you peeved? Or do you kind of understand, hey, it sounds like they had an exclusive. And uh, Luck doesn't speak a lot. And that's when he spoke to Seth. Well, I'll tell you this. As a, uh, just from a you know, journalistic standpoint, I think other people can relate in terms of their work or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to the Bellagio to try to meet up with Andrew Luck and try to talk to him and do a story. Uh, because he hasn't really talked to anybody in a long time. Yep. And I pulled into the Bellagio parking garage. Uh, looked at my phone to see if I had got any uh, text messages in the last couple of minutes while I was driving, and I uh, had a push notification from the ESPN Wickersham story on Andrew ah, Luck. No. <laughs> oh. And I knew, I knew right then it was not happening. Did you get to read the story? I mean, I, I skimmed through it as I was walking in. I was like, yeah, he's not talking today. Was there a big takeaway you had? Because I, I have one. When you're gone, i got I got to get into something with, uh, with Andrew Luck. But did you have any uh, big takeaway? Well, I, I read it from a different perspective because I actually have talked to some people around Andrew Luck who have kind of told me their belief from him of the reason why he left, and it didn't really get mentioned in the story very much. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so I, I was a little thrown off by that. Um, I think he's maybe still not comfortable talking about that part of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the pressures of the game, and especially the pressure of being a quarterback and the identity crisis that causes can be a huge burden on somebody, and he's the kind of person that I think – you kind of believe that, bro. Adam, good spot. Very good spot. Enjoy the game tonight. Everyone follow Adam on Twitter, Adam Hell, uh, Adam Hill, Adam Hell, Adam Hell, Adam Hill, LVRJ. Thanks for checking in. I think we're seeing you tomorrow, right, over at Treasure Island? Oh, I'll be there. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Late night traffic. <laughs> uh, hopefully you get back in time. Thanks, Adam. Yep, see you guys.
There he is, Adam Hill. There is another thing in that story that I found really fascinating uh, with Andrew Luck as part of the pressure to walk away at a very young age. I'll address that on the way back. And I think it's something that women who watch sports and often critique men for being way too into sports, you guys should actually be embracing Andrew Luck. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Raiders, Rams coming up, Comp 92.3 for the game. Pre-game's over on Raider Nation Radio 920. Flip over now if you want to hear the long, well-deserved lead-in for the uh, five-win Raiders as they're uh, making a run here. We'll get into how much of a run they can make after 4 o'clock in the Big Four at 4. Curtis Terry, former Rebel basketball player, one of the voices of the running Rebels on radio, is going to join us here in five minutes. Just got off the horn with Adam Hill, who, of course, is part of the company and works for, Cofield and Company, that is, uh, works for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and we uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. Adam's got all these different story ideas, and he was telling us on the air without telling us that he wanted to track down Andrew Luck, who was in town for an event, and do a story on him. And then as he was going to the press availability, well, ESPN put out a story by Seth Wickersham, so there goes that uh, potential exclusive opportunity with Andrew Luck. So what came out of the story, and a big part of the story was, and the guy was 29 years old when he walked away. Uh, Andrew Luck is still younger than Matt Stafford, who doesn't feel old but kind of looks old with all the injuries, but he's younger. He's only 33 years old. I mean, we've got quarterbacks now. I mean, Brady's the exception playing until he's 45, but we got quarterbacks who can play until they're 39, 40 years old at a high level, and he walked away. And I thought one of the interesting things in there was this line, talking about persistent injuries. Uh, He was feeling the pressure of uh, expectations, and he felt like he was failing to meet expectations. Says all that pressure took a toll on life outside of football, especially with his girlfriend and future wife, Nicole uh, Pachanik. I think is how you say it. So I saw that. I'm like, wait, did this guy walk away? Did this guy basically do what TB12 was unwilling to do? Did he walk away from football to save his relationship? And I'm not digging on it, right? I'm not not ripping on him for it. Um, You know, in the whole TB12 split with his lady, I kind of sided with Tom Brady because I like to work. And, you know, if I knew that I had, like, two years left of a voice, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm working these two years because I like doing radio. I really love it. So I kind of understand Brady's just – unquenchable thirst for competition but then there's luck on the flip side but luck came from a different background but the the whole thing of if that was a big part of it the whole thing of walking away at 29 years old when you have 10 years left in a finite career to save your relationship I think is really admirable and for women out there I've heard a lot of women and I've seen many more on social media because you're kind of nameless and faceless who just annihilated Tom Brady like he's playing a game why wouldn't he save his marriage and who doesn't he care about his kids all right I hope people find out that Andrew Luck may have walked away from football because of his relationship. Put him on a pedestal, ladies, right? This is what you want. Is a guy who's willing to walk away from his career to save his relationship. Now, I will say, because I always have to be a little bit cynical, um, he was a guy who is kind of was reported as not loving football. He did come from money. He did make a lot of money. When you're not kind of fighting for survival, it is a little bit easier. You're not the common man, right? Like uh, most of us, if we walk away from a career, we're like, Oh, crap. Like, how do I survive? He had money, so that made it easier. But, hey, good for him if that's why he did it and he uh, wanted to make sure he stayed hitched to um, this lady. 
that's an interesting reason to walk away, but uh, one that Tom Brady was not willing to do. Join Cofield and company on Fridays for the 3-6 to six show at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. There's nothing like a football Friday at Treasure Island. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and company. All right, looking for updates from down at SoFi. Raiders and Rams kick off after 5 o'clock. Baker Mayfield is now a member of the Rams. The folks saying there's a crazy possibility of him actually playing tonight. was just looking at a video the, retweeted by Adam Hill, put out by Steve Weich. And very casual attire. He does have cleats on. Uh, Mayfield is on the field warming up. So we'll follow this for the next 90 minutes, and we'll see if on freaking two days' notice a, a quarterback can take over an organization and an offense. It's pretty nuts. Curtis Terry's with us. I want to talk football in about 30 minutes, but let's talk some basketball. You're all decked out in your running Rebel gear, which, uh, hey, everyone should be right now because the beginning of the season has Wait. been awesome. They're 9-0. Last night's game I thought was really emblematic about, uh, you know, around how good this team is in terms of spurtability and good teams. I still believe this team is kind of built in the mode of San Diego State, so mm-hmm. I'll point out the Aztecs over the years, good programs and good teams – have a mentality, like when we need to get the job done right. and it's go time, we're going to close this thing out. Yeah, that, and that's what they do. I mean, and, and Coach Kevin Kruger talked about it last night in the postgame show, and I asked him, I was like, most teams, like they have to, they got to score a bucket or get a steal and get a transition breakaway to, to try to change the tide and get the momentum back. His team just kind of, they lock down on defense. They get a stop, and then they're like, ooh, we're back in it. And I think that's the difference with these guys. Like they know they're going to make their money on the defensive end with this group this year. And that's where they, they hang their hat. And, and that's what it took for them to get out of that rut. Obviously, Luis Rodriguez scored eight straight points. But it was defense, defense, defense to get that momentum back because Hawaii was, was starting to make some shots and close the gap a little bit. I wasn't really nervous, but the guys defensively, that's where they, they clamped down, and that's where they changed the tide. Yeah, the Rebels went uh, against Hawaii. They went on a run at the end of the first half. And you looked up, and you're like, wow, they had a tough time offensively for a little while there. Mm-hmm. Wait, 41. Right. 41-22 at the break. They score the first bucket of the second half, make it 43-22. Then, like 10 minutes later, it's 54-46 to 46 because they just – I just think they got out of sorts offensively, a lot of hero ball. And when they needed to, to make plays, it was Lou Rod, as you call him, Luis right. Rodriguez, a transfer in from Ole Miss, who, man, this guy's turning into a, a really good player. Listen to Kevin Kruger talk about Luis Rodriguez. His transfer got off to a kind of a, a dicey start offensively and – you know, why he was so excited to get the guy and why he thought he had offensive potential. Well, he's shooting it really well, or at least with more confidence. And I think, uh, you know, I, when you're out there playing against guys that shoot it as, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's a textbook shot. You know, it's in rhythm. It's the same every single time. And whether a guy makes one or misses one early, when they shoot it the way that, that Lou does, um, it kind of sends a little bit of a message, especially if it's an open look, um, because you, you can tell that, that the guy is a shot maker. And... But, uh, you know, his defense, his steal in the second half for a dunk um, uh, obviously was huge during that run. Um, but, then the, but, of course, the threes he hit kind of in transition, his ability to do that, uh, spread the floor out, um, not make things too complicated. You know, he's open, shoot it. And if you're not, don't. And uh, I think that's kind of what he did, especially on that run when he was feeling pretty good. Yeah, the steal he mentioned was actually when Hawaii had forced a missed shot and then – you know, you put your head down for a second. Don't put your head down during Rebel games and don't look at your phone. No. Like, because you're like, oh, they're just going to bring the ball up the floor. Miss, like, because 
Luis Rodriguez is back there, and guys have active hands, and yeah, all of a sudden, uh, steal, dunk. The shooting thing is the one that impresses me because I, I, I got to tell you, I, I've seen him play really good defense. He's just from an athletic standpoint, you're like, all right, that's why that guy was a, 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 a we'll call him a power five guy, but that's why the guy was recruited by conferences like the SEC. He's, you know, he's strong, he's big. Right. I, I got to a point in the season, Curtis, where I was like, all right, um, everyone's going to kind of chip in, but the alphas on this team scoring-wise are going to be Keyshawn Gilbert and E.J. Harkless. Right. And, you know, Luis Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez might have a game here or there. Now I'm like, this guy could be the leading scorer every night. I can't believe how good he is offensively. Yeah, and it, it's funny. So I, I believe it was, it was you and Adam Hill probably like a month ago. You guys were on, like, who do you think is the, the go-to guy? I was like, I, I don't know right now. And you guys are like, it's E.J., it's E.J. And I think it is. But I think at any given night it could be any of them. Uh, but Luis Rodriguez continues to impress me. Like, I talk about EJ Harkless. Like, he impresses me because every time he does something different off the dribble or creating a shot or, or getting his teammates open. But Luis, is, he's just a baller. And I think Kevin said, I mean, if you're open, shoot it. If you're not, pass it. But I think there's a difference between guys that are shooters. Like, Justin Webster is a shooter. Let him just spot up, knock down shots. I think Luis Rodriguez is a shot maker. He's going to make shots. Now, they might not be, always be good shots he's going to take, but he's going to make tough shots. He can go out there and get an ISO one-on-one, a step back. He can make. He's a shot maker. Justin Webster is a shooter. It's two difference to me, in, in my opinion. Um, but I think that skill set for Luis Rodriguez at six six, strong, athletic, great defender, um, handles it just very uh, good enough to, to get by, but makes shots. As opposed to being a shooter, no, he makes shots. So he's a prototypical three and D guy to me. Um, and so when Kevin said that a couple weeks ago at the, at the coaches' show, I was like. NBA, may, oh, now you're starting to see everything put together, and these guys get more comfortable. Here's Kevin Kruger talking more about the the shooting, and you know you're talking about a guy in uh, Lou Rod who averaged you know somewhere between seven and nine points a game at Ole Miss was really never uh, a primary guy, and and you can see the last two years they're going out and they're finding people and are like you know what that person hasn't reached their potential. Right. So we talked about what he saw in Luis Rodriguez uh, before he got him. To be perfectly honest, is it's the form, it's just the way he shoots it. Um, they're all the same. You know, the way he sets the ball, the way he, he releases it, the way it comes out of his hand. Um, there's just a consistency there that uh, when we were watching him, we really just felt that if he had more reps and more uh, more looks at the hoop, that uh, we, th we felt he could be a good shooter. And But, I mean, for Lou to bring the defensive intensity and effort that he's brought, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to put it into words, really. We knew he could guard. We knew Eli Parquet could guard. We knew EJ could guard. But the, the effort and intensity level that they're putting forth every night, it's just it's so much fun to watch. And it's so nice as a coaching staff because the younger guys, the guys that they blended with from last year's team that play so hard, it's been such just a good kind of marriage between those two groups that you know everybody plays really hard. Yeah, he's talking about setting a standard that you have four or five leaders who don't have to be revved up every day, then everyone follows them because they're like, I'm going to look like an ass if I'm not – Revved up, but I'm telling you, on the floor, and Curtis knows this. He played at the highest level. You know, when you force a missed shot, there's a little exhale, and you're like, okay, all right, now we can take it easy. Let's run up the floor. The ball handler or two will bring it up. You know, this is easy time. It's break time. There's no break time no. against the UNLV defense. No, there's none at all. I mean, it doesn't matter who your point guard is. And like last night, you see Coleman. He, he's averaging almost 18 points a game. I think he finished like four last he night. He looked terrible. I, I was like, I don't know how this guy scores. And no, I'll, no. I'll give you a guy from last year, and they're going to face him this year. And I'll probably pay for this. He'll, you know, I might light him up. But when I watched Darian Trammell last year, and that was oh, a different Seattle defensive you, team, yeah. but still the same principles. Right. The Seattle kid, right. they play. I think that was at Mandalay Bay. I'm like, right. what's the big deal? This kid's averaging 18 in the game. Uh -huh. they, they took him out of the game. Right. Um, they've done that consistently this year. And, it, and it's across the board. The other thing I want to mention with, with Lou Rod and, 
and with E.J. Harkless and with Gilbert. I, I think I've talked to you about this, talked about this before, especially with Gilbert. Gilbert can almost be a little scary to play against because right. he will freaking throw himself into you. Yeah. And, you know, it's not fun to get hit in the face by a shoulder or mm-hmm. an elbow when someone's trying to go up for a layup. And I saw something last night with Luis Rodriguez where he had a miss. I think it was on the left side of the basket, and he was able to get the rebound. And, man, when he leaned in against the defender, and the right. defender just didn't pick up like what he should have done, which is thrown himself into the right. first row. He could have drawn a charge. But the pow- like the anger and the power on just a putback, I was like, whoa, how do you defend that? You can't. You get you get the heck out of the way. I mean, or you're going to have to go see the dentist and get your whole grill refixed. Um, but, no, it's, and it's, it's something I've seen. I mean, EJ Harkless does it very well. I mean, we talk about the old man game. He controls his body so well. And he does, he's not the fastest guy. But he's always under control. And when you're under control, it's harder to defend because most guys are just kind of helter-skelter and they're kind of all running around. But he's under control. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to use the, the, the I mean, the Euro step, the elongated step to create contact. But then he can still separate himself and be able to finish up high. Uh, but Luis Rodriguez, I mean, he's a strong kid. You talk about the putback. He, I think I made the comment on air. He put his shoulder through the guy's chest. You know what I mean? You talk about making contact. He tried to put his his shoulder through the guy's chest and try to get it to come out the other side. And then you see him on the on the block charge where they ended up calling the block. The block. I mean, he tried to jump through the guy's chest. And these are things that you, we've seen athletes here at UNLV. You see Donovan Williams, right? When we talked about this last night on the air with, with Derek Jones Jr. So probably the best dunker we've seen at UNLV is Derek Jones Jr. But it's a different type of dunker. That's a high flyer kind of high wire act. Luis Rodriguez is a power dunker. Like he, he'll try to jump through you, jump over you. You saw Eli Parquet last night jumps over the six ten guy and lands on his back. Um, the kids, the kids are just built different these days. And, and he talk about Keyshawn Gilbert. He's, it's almost scary because I don't think he knows how good he can be yet. But he just, I'm kind of a loose cannon. But he knows what he can do, and he's just super uber confident in his skill set. So last night they win by fifteen. They beat Hawaii. UNLV is not an O. Now next game is up at the MGM. Is they're going to be part of a doubleheader with Indiana and Arizona, and they're going to play. Wazoo, Washington State at, at 130. Last night was interesting because Keyshawn Gilbert didn't play completely under control. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Kruger's like, all right, I have options. Right. And he went to a guy who I think a lot of people have kind of given up on in Jordan McCabe. And I want you to hear how he talked about McCabe here because McCabe's time, like he didn't do a lot of scoring, no, but it calmed, it calmed everything down and also on both ends of the floor. I felt that like he adjusted really well. Um, defensively, they were doing a couple of little things that were kind of bothering us a little bit, and we uh, we were we were a little slow to to get to certain spots. And I felt that uh, when he got out there and he had that stretch in the second half, I thought he did a really good job of of, of not just giving up a lane driving. Or he did. There's one that does come to mind where he fronted the post, um, you know, a six nine six ten guy, and he didn't allow it to get in into the post where they kind of were were having good looks from there. So and, and Jordan's a smart player. Uh, he knows what to do. He knows where to be. And I thought tonight he did just a really good job of kind of in-game adjusting um, so they couldn't continue to do the same things to beat us. Again, and, I, and I, I'm not just a homer. I like Kevin. But Kevin's he's very logical. Um, I think everything is, is very methodical with what he does. And I like Jordan McCabe. People last year were giving Jordan McCabe all kinds of crap because he couldn't make a shot. And he struggled. He was flashy. He was, he was getting assists, but he couldn't make a shot. And I honestly, I give him credit and commend him for coming back. But also... Being the mentor and like the senior, the leader, the veteran to allow Keyshawn Gilbert to have the role that he has. Because let's be real, most guys would be like, screw that, dude. You're, I'm going to fight you. I'm, gonna be a, I'm just going to be a pest. I'm going to be a, a pain. I'm going to be a cancer in the locker room because I'm the senior. I should be playing. I started last year. So Jordan McCabe to be selfless like that is going to be one of the reasons why later in the season this team really has success because he very easily could blow this thing up if he wanted to. But that's not the kind of kid he is. He's just happy to be here. He's on a winning team and being successful. 
and he's playing better this year, I think, than last year, even though he's playing less. But he's having more of an impact in situations like that to where he makes a big shot at the end of the half. Um, he's knocked down a shot the other night um, on the road at San Diego. And he, he fronts the post. Like the little things, he's able to do those now, and they're more accentuated because he doesn't always have the ball in his hands and doesn't always have to be relied on to make a shot. And so Jordan McCabe, just as much as Luis Rodriguez, as EJ Harkless, his role right now is just it's invaluable to this team, but I think even more so to Keyshawn Gilbert because Keyshawn's getting just that mentorship because these guys eat breakfast together, they work out together, and when Jordan wasn't sick, they're all for roommates on the road together. Players repeatedly say we really like each other. And I think most of the team last year got along. I think Donovan became a little bit of a problem. And just in terms – Donovan Williams, is he's a super talented guy. Right. But I think Donovan can be a little bit fragile sometimes, and he needs to be coddled. He's an NBA talent. That's right. why he's playing in the G League. But I, I'm not saying that he wouldn't have played this year. I wonder what – if he came back, I wonder what his role would be if he didn't play enough defense because this team is built for defense. Now, they need offense, and right. Donovan – could absolutely provide that, and I'm not trying to, to bang it, but I just wanted to talk about maturity because the team they've built here. So, like, I speak to Jordan McCabe sometimes, and I'm like, "Yes, sir." Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm talking to someone older than me. I'm not young. Yes, Mr. Uh, McCabe. Yes, yes, Mr. McCabe. <laughs> right. Um, and then on the flip side, like you're around Keyshawn Hall, and you're like, "Okay, that's an 18 year old." Right. Like he's just nothing wrong with it. No. He's young, you know, kind of the the baby fat, but he's right. super talented. Right. But the gap between those guys and everyone in between, the maturity, like. Right. I love the way they're building a program with a bunch of young dudes and then veteran after veteran after veteran. And they, they have a good time uh, after they win. They right. celebrate, but they get right back down to earth. And you can see it's a very business-like approach. Right. It's, it's a lot of fun to be around. And again, I was talking to somebody today about it. Like After they win, they pull out the boom box and we're on the bus. Everybody's singing along. I'm laughing. You're, everybody's laughing and having a good time. And just enjoying the, the guys for what they put into it, right? Because, again, it's a grind. And people think being a college athlete, it's fun and it's the glitz and glamour. The kid, they get a lot of stuff, right? Um, they, they, it's they're taken care of in terms of what they get to eat and the gear they get but they they don't they go to school and they practice and they play games and they travel and they have got uh, community relations events and, and obligations that they do so these guys put in a lot of work so it's fun to see them celebrate when they get those chances because they put in so much work um and i think the maturity is huge because again you talk about last year like you got guys coming in guys that didn't play a lot in a lot of places versus this year you got guys that played a lot at their previous stops but just they're getting a bigger role as opposed to getting a bigger role and the minutes like last year's group. So Donovan Williams, I mean, filled in. But this guy's it's a, it's a different vibe with this guy, with this group, and it's exciting to see grow. Coming up, let's talk about the 9-0 start and what it really means and the quality of competition and what's coming up. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra draft on NFL and Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. I came here to eat once, to be fair. I did go upstairs, then I went there again the other night, actually, after we shot around on Monday. It was good, um, so hats off to them for that. But it's an awesome venue. It's a good, intimate feel. It feels like T-Mobile just without the upper deck, from the seats to the court to the lights to the Jumbotron. It's just uh, it's a great facility, and hopefully next year uh, we can get a couple games in here again. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Kickoff of the Raiders game against the Rams. Beers go to 77 cents. Bud, Bud Light, McUltra, Bottles. That's every NFL game. But tonight for the Raiders and the Rams, come on down. Enjoy some brewskis. Good uh, hot dog special. Curtis Terry is here. He's nice enough to come over to the set at Silver 7s. Former Rebel on the basketball side. We were talking about the 9-0 start, which is the best since, what, 2010-11? Yep, 2010-2011. So Kevin Kruger on the way back shouted out the restaurant 
at the DLC. It's right. Craggy Range, which, by the way, I tried to go to yesterday, but they opened at 2. I was there at, like, Ooh. 12.05. I'm like, come on, open up earlier for lunch. Um, but but he gave a, uh, I guess that was, like, a good Yelp review. He's been there twice, so Coach says it's good. Five-star review. The arena is cool. Yeah. And it really is like a mini T-Mobile. And for yeah. basketball, to hold like you know six sixty five hundred with right. the luxury boxes, it was it was good. It was awesome. And shout out to Ari right there for the for the intro music for the swag surfing. If, if anybody got video of me, John, and Nick Murphy swag surfing yesterday, uh, towards like the, I think it was the last media timeout, please send it to us because I'm trying to get John to do it every day, and he's 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 warming up to it more and more. Um, but no, I, lo- I love the DLC. That's the first time I've been there. Obviously, I'd heard about it. Um, but I think Kevin summed it up perfectly. And after he said that, I walked around. I was like, you're right. It is T-Mobile without the upper upper deck. And I think it's it's the perfect fit. It's a great college atmosphere. Um, I know Kevin talked about wanting to maybe get more games there next year. Um, and I love the Thomas and Mac. I do. I hope we get back to the days of, I mean, the, the prime Lon Kruger era. We had 18-5 in there dang, dang near every night. That would be awesome. But if not, I mean, like, if you could do, like, the DLC with, like, 10,000 and, like, close to campus or on campus, it would be perfect for UNLV basketball because even on a bad night, you're going to get 5,000. But on a great night, you're going to get 10, and the place is going to be rocking. I, uh, I tweeted out a, a story about another program, uh, I don't know, about a half an hour ago. It was like, this is one of the model programs that show, for UNLV fans who are like, they're never going to get back. You can get back because Houston is back. Right. It is a similar program, mm-hmm. a much smaller arena. By the way, Kelvin Sampson probably mentioned five different times for the UNLV job over the years. Mm-hmm. Oops. Mm-hmm. Um, he's turned them into a powerhouse. But the point is, they're going to be power five eventually, but they're a group of five. And the tweet I sent out was, hey, they're playing Alabama. The game is sold out. I think if the Rebels continue to play like they're playing and they're winning, I'm, I'm thinking, and to say this like 10 years ago, you'd be like, what? That's terrible. I'm thinking... Uh, at least eight or 9,000 pushing 10. If they can get through the non-con, maybe with one loss or unbeaten, that San Diego State game I think should be well attended. Only challenge is it's New Year's Eve day. Right. But I would think some fans would show up for that. But this, folks, there's, like, I, I almost think people like mock on UNLV basketball like it's embarrassing. I think they know where they are right now. They went through this spell of right. kind of so-so basketball. And then meanwhile, all this other stuff came in right. sports-wise to take away some of the ticket dollars. So it is going to take a little while. Yeah, but to still, to, and again, I, I'm, a, I'm an alum. I'm going to wave the flag. You talked about my gear today. I, I wear my UNLV gear, I mean, hell or high water, good or bad, indifferent. I'm always going to wear it. Um, but I think Kevin Kruger and, and the people in charge at UNLV, I think they know where basketball is right now, but I think they know how important it is to UNLV, uh, but also to the city. Because, I mean, you talk about the Aces. I mean, shout out to Becky Hammond and what the, those, those ladies did over there, the Raiders, the Knights. But at the core of it is still UNLV basketball is is the prime sport and people that's what they are they're most they remember and they can they can connect to. Um, I think they're coming back and I think and I've been saying this for, I've been saying this for like two weeks now. You get through non-conference, you're twelve and zero on December twenty eighth. You go to San Jose State, you're thirteen and zero on New Year's Eve at two p.m. I believe you've got San Diego State here on regular CBS and a matchup that should be two teams that are both top twenty. And if Thomas and Mack does not have at least twelve thousand people in here. We don't want to support a successful basketball program. Oh, look at you! No, even if we're throwing even if, down the gauntlet, even if we're twelve and one, I mean, or or, or eleven and two, you're talking about two teams are going to be top twenty-five, and this is what we've been clamoring about. We want it. We want to be back. Well, that's your opportunity to come out and support them. And I don't care if it's New Year's Eve because let's be real, nobody's traveling away from Vegas on New Year's Eve. You're going to be here, so if anything, that's your pregame. That's your pre-funk. Come to the Thomas and Mac. Well, maybe they can create some, some drink specials, do your thing, and then go out and, and, and celebrate in the streets of Las Vegas. Curtis Terry with us. He's going to continue for another uh, 20 minutes or so. He'll join us for the Big Four at 4. We're live at Silver 7s. Come on down. Sign up for the A-Play card. They've got great giveaways. 
almost every single day. If you accrue points with the A-Play, you're eligible for the giveaway tonight. Thursday, gift card giveaway, $100 gift cards. They give them out every half an hour. Six up until 1030, Silver 7s.